0: Okay, Genesis 34 this morning, Genesis chapter 34, and let's begin reading from verse 1, and then we'll have a word of prayer, Genesis 34 verse 1, so Dinah the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem the son of Hamor the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and defiled her. And he sold clave unto Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. <clears throat> and he loved the damsel and spake kindly unto the damsel. And Shechem spake unto his father Hamor saying, get me this damsel to wife. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah his daughter. Now his sons were in the, with his cattle in the field and Jacob held his peace until they will come. Let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we do thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that we are able to come and gather in this place. Uh, Lord, we know that still many can't and Lord, as of this week, we won't be able to be back next week, but we do thank you that we can be here this morning. And we pray for those who are watching on at home as well and online that you bless them this morning too. We pray that you bless our time now as we Come to your word that you would uh, speak to our hearts, you teach us this morning, instruct us through it. Lord, I pray that you would empower me through the Spirit now as only you can. You give me wisdom and guidance as I speak. uh, That, Lord, it would be your words, it would be your thoughts this morning. That, Lord, we would gain an understanding of your word, uh, be challenged, be refreshed, uh, be blessed by your word this morning. May we. Uh, leave singing your praises, giving all glory and honour unto your name. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, the chapter uh, before us this morning, Genesis chapter 34, <clears throat> records uh, one of the most brutal and shameful incidents in the Word of God. Um, I read one commentator this week who basically struggled to find anything to learn from this chapter which is a good place to start for me as I came to prepare a message on it this morning. Uh, It's a a difficult passage. It's a difficult chapter in the Word of God. It's a story that begins with uh, Dinah, uh, Dinah, uh, Jacob's daughter, begins with her being defiled, and it ends with the brutal massacre of the whole city of Shechem, all the men, by Jacob's sons. And it's a chapter that really highlights for us the great evil that man is capable of when their heart is not in tune with God, when you know, their heart is not submitted to God's way, and when God is left out of the equation, when God is left out of the decision-making. The commentator Butler notes this. He says that God is left out of this incident is seen in the fact that Genesis 33 ends with the mention of God, And Genesis 35 begins with the mention of God, while Genesis 34 does not mention God once. The lesson from this is obvious, leave God out, and man's behavior can become grossly wicked. And that's the point, God is left out of this chapter. The sons of Jacob conduct themselves in many ways worse than the heathen nations around them. They bring shame and reproach upon Israel, and more importantly, upon the name of God. Now, what testimony they may have had there in the land is completely destroyed by their actions. And this morning, as we consider this terrible event, we're going to do it over the course of both messages this morning, we're going to start in this first message, this first service, by examining the cause behind the brutal events, which is Dinah's defilement. Now, we first read of Dinah in the Word of God back in Genesis chapter 30. Okay, if you remember there, uh, she's the only daughter of Jacob, mentioned there in Genesis. And it seems evident from Genesis chapter 30 that Dinah was born around about the same time as Joseph. Okay, she's mentioned just before him in that list of sons. Okay, Dinah is mentioned just before Joseph, and so it seems she's born around about the same time as Joseph. What this means is that like Joseph, she was born at the very end of that 14 years of service for Uh, his wives remember Jacob had 14 years of service okay it was at the end of that 14 years that Joseph and Dinah were both born and of course after that 14 years Jacob would then labour another six years before leaving Haran to go back to Canaan so what that tells us is that when they left Haran Dinah is around about six to seven years old okay that's how old she was when they returned to the land of Canaan and then as we saw last Sunday uh, upon arriving in the land Jacob and his family settled in Succoth for a period of time, and then they moved to the region around the city of Shechem. Just go back to chapter 33 quickly, verse 17. It says, And Jacob journeyed to Succoth, and built him a house, and made booths for his cattle. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. And Jacob came to Shalem, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, and he pitched, sorry, <clears throat> which he when he came from Pandanaram and pitched his tent before the city, and he brought a parcel of a field where he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamor, uh, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of silver, uh, of money, and he erected there an altar and called it El Ilahi Israel. And So there, at the end of chapter thirty-three, we see they've settled in this region around the land of uh, sorry the city of Shechem. Okay, and they bought this parcel of land, and that's where Jacob and his family are residing. And as chapter 34 begins and picks up the story, we see that they are still in that region. They're still in that same place uh, nearby to the city of Shechem. But it's important we understand that it doesn't pick up the story immediately after chapter 33. There's not a a complete flow here. There is a gap of time between chapter 33 and chapter 34. Uh, Most scholars are of the opinion that there are a, a gap of many years. Okay, and that the, the events of chapter 34 actually take place about 10 years after they left Haran. Okay, 10 years in total. And so what that means is that as we read this story here in Genesis chapter 34, Dinah is not a child anymore. Dinah is actually a teenager and possibly she's about 16, 17 years old. Okay, um, that's when most scholars place this story. Okay, it might be a little bit younger, but she's around about that age. She's a teenager. And it's this teenage girl's actions and subsequent defilements which would be the root cause of everything that happens after this in the chapter. And so let's begin first of all here this morning by seeing her vain curiosity. <clears throat> Dinah's vain curiosity. Look in verse 1. It says, and Dinah, went, sorry, and Dinah the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. She goes out to see the daughters of the land. Now, as I said in the introduction, Jacob and his family, they're living on this parcel of land. They've been living there now for several years, close by to the city of Shechem. And, you know, while they're in the promised land, they're finally where God wants them to be, they're still living in an ungodly place, aren't they? Okay, all the other cities, all the nations around them, are ungodly nations. And Jacob and his family, they are strangers. They're strangers in the land and while they're living in the land they're still trying to remain separate this is why he brought the parcel of land that's outside of the city he's not in the city he's outside the city and he's trying to still remain separate distinct as God wants them to be and you know we can be sure that Jacob has uh, tried to protect his children as any father would protect them from the worldly influence of these surrounding nations and especially the city of Shechem we can be sure that he's taught them God's promises to them as a people. We can be sure he's taught them how God desires for them to remain separate and distinct from these nations. And you know, we can identify with Jacob's situation, can't we? We can identify with Jacob and his family here because we live in an ungodly world, in an ungodly place surrounded by ungodly people. We can identify with his situation. And you know, while we are in the world, we are not to be of the world, are we? That we're in the world, we're not to be of the world. We are to be different, distinct, separate. You know, as parents in particular, we have a desire and indeed a responsibility to protect our children as best we can from the world. Teaching them the truth of God's word. Teaching them God's desire for us to be separate, to be different. Indeed, it's our burden to see our children grow up to honor God with their lives and we can be sure that that was Jacob's burden okay Jacob had that same burden for his children to grow up to honor God with their lives and he's doing his best to protect his children you know the reality is that children eventually are put in positions where they have to make their own decisions aren't they you know children grow up to be teenagers and young adults and they have to make their own decisions their own choices and they have to make their own stance there comes a day when they're faced with their own Opportunities as we all were growing up faced with our own opportunities faced with uh, opportunities to make decisions for ourselves And that time arrives in Dinah's life. That's why I've said all that to point out that Dinah is a teenager She's making decisions now for herself and probably most likely against the will of her father Okay, and her mother She's making decisions for herself and we see that she makes some very foolish decisions you see, in verse 1 we're told that she goes out, she went out to see the daughters of the land. It's this decision, it's this action which would lead to all the problems that follow. You see Dinah was drawn to and attracted to (coughs) the other teenage girls of the land, the teenage girls there in the city of Shechem. You know we can understand her attraction, can't we? You know, you think about it, Dinah is the only daughter as far as we know of, so she has eleven brothers. She's on her own, and we can understand why she is curious to know what the other girls are up to in the city of Shechem. It's understandable that she would seek companionship, that she would seek other girls her own age to hang out with. But you know, while it's understandable, her actions are not excusable. See the words here: "Went out to see," there in verse one it says, "And Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which she, unto Jacob, went out to see." The daughters of the land. Those words went out to sea. They're not meant to imply that this is the first time that Dinah went out to see the daughters of the land. Okay, this is not meant to imply this was the first occasion, or the only occasion. The expression could actually be translated "Once upon a time, she went out." And so the implication is that this is a common occurrence. This is something that is regularly now happening. And the phrase "to see the daughters of the land" speaks of familiarity. It speaks of the fact that she has made close friends with these daughters of the land. That's the point here. She has been going out regularly she's been hanging out with these other teenage girls and she's developed friendships with them. One commentator wrote this, the language indicates the paying of a friendly visit or the habitual practice of associating with the Shechemite women in their social entertainments if not in their religious festivals. So the point is, she's chosen her friends poorly. She's chosen her friends poorly. She's been hanging out with them increasingly, going to all these events with them. And she ignored, basically, the instruction of her parents, didn't she? As I said, Jacob would have brought his children up to know God's promises and to know that they were to be separate, to be different. She ignored those instructions, and instead she's begun to regularly associate with these young women from the city nearby. Now remember this is a city that is steeped in idolatry, isn't it? They don't worship God. They don't honour the one true God. They're they're idol worshippers. And more than that, they have very low moral standards as will become clear. Very low moral standards. And by putting herself in this situation, this association, it leads to her ruin. One commentator wrote this, Dinah was curious to know the ways and customs of the surrounding people. This led to a careless intimacy, which ended in accomplishing her ruin. She ought, to have, she ought not to have wandered beyond her parental control and supervision, nor disregarded the duty of separation from an idolatrous people and their manners and habits. That's the point. Because she didn't remain separate, she wanted to hang out with the world. She became like the world. She had this curiosity to know the ways, the customs of the world, and it put her in a dangerous place. It put her in a vulnerable place. You know, she fraternized with the world and she felt the tug of worldly friendship and she paid a terrible price because of it. You know, young people in particular this morning, Dinah is a, a perfect example of what happens when you choose your, friends care, choose your friends poorly, I should say. Perfect example of why we need to choose carefully, who we hang out with, who we associate with. You know, Proverbs 13 verse 20 makes it clear that those we choose to keep company with will have an effect upon us. Just go over there, Proverbs 13. Proverbs 13, verse 20, 20 says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Now God's word's clear. Our friends will either build us up, a companion of wise will be wise, they'll either build us up or they'll drag us down, destroy us. Those we associate with, those we hang around with, the influences we put into our life. First Corinthians 15 verse 33, likewise makes the point, be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. Evil friends corrupt good manners. Now We often deceive ourselves, don't we, into thinking that it's the other way around. We deceive ourselves into thinking that by hanging out with them, we will be an influence for good. We will bring them to the Lord. We'll go and hang out with them in all these places and we will change them. But it's actually the other way around, isn't it? Evil communications corrupt good manners. The bad apple corrupts the good apples, doesn't it? Not the other way around. The commentator Butler wrote this, One of the great reasons why Christian young people are going to ruin is the lack of separation. When you keep company with unholy companions, you will defile your character. By running with a worldly crowd, Dinah came into contact with unprincipled people who had little respect or consideration for high moral principles. It's true, isn't it? It's the ruin of so many of our young people today. It's the same problem, this association with the world, this lack of separation, this poor choice in friends. You know, God's word is clear. We need to seek to remain separate. From the world know we know it well but second corinthians six let's just turn over there and read it second corinthians six second <clears throat> Corinthians six and verse fourteen it says be not be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with belial or what part hath He that believeth with an infidel, or what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple, temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty." Chapter we know well of verses that we know well about separation, being distinct, being different. There's a reason why God's word instructs us to do this, to be different. And if that means losing some friends, turning people away, then that's okay. Far better to lose those associations than to be dragged down by them and find ourselves in a place of ruin, like Dinah now finds herself to be. And so we see secondly now her honor lost we see her honor lost we've seen her vain curiosity and now her honor lost look in verse 2 with me <clears throat> Genesis 34 verse 2 it says and when Shechem the son of Hamor the Hivite prince of the country saw her he took her and lay with her and defiled her in verse 2 we learn that Dinah has not gone unnoticed You know, she's come regularly now to the city of Shechem and she's been hanging out with these new friends, going to the parties and things with them, the festivals, wherever it might be. As she's been hanging out with them, she has attracted now the attention of the young men in the city. Matthew Henry pointed out that this was probably part of what she wanted to be seen, to be noticed. He says, her pretense was to see the daughters of the land, to see how they dressed and how they danced and what was fashionable among them. She went to see, yet that was not all, she went to be seen too. She went to see the daughters of the land, but it may be with some thoughts of the sons of the land too. You know, Indeed, Dinah being a teenage girl was probably flattered, wasn't she, to receive the attention of the young men, to turn their heads. But even more flattering was the fact that the attention came from the prince. Verse 2, And when Shechem, the son of Hamor the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, So more flattering than just having young men pay her attention is the fact that it's the prince, it's the ruler's son who sees her. She's gained his attention, she's turned his head. He's attracted to her. And it would seem that Dinah liked and and possibly even encouraged the attention of Shechem. One commentator made the point, it's highly probable that she had been often and freely mixing in the society of the place and that she being a simple, inexperienced and vain young woman had been flattered by the attentions of the ruler's son there must have been time and opportunities of acquaintance to produce the strong attachment that Shechem had for her. You see Shechem has some very strong feelings towards Dinah and they don't just happen if this is your first acquaintance Shechem has some very strong feelings. You read them there in verse 3 we're told that he sold clave unto her and he loved her yeah, verse 3 says, "And he sold clave unto Dinah the daughter of Jacob and he loved the damsel spake kindly unto her he has some very strong feelings for Dinah in verse 8 his father declares the soul of my son Shechem longeth for your daughter same idea these strong feelings for your daughter and then in verse 11 and 12 we'll talk about this in the second service but in, the, in verse 11 and 12 we see him declare his love by stating that he will pay any dowry at all that they set. He says, you, you name your price, I'll pay anything. Such is my love for Dinah. Look in verse 11. It says, And Shechem said unto her father and unto her brethren, Let me find grace in your eyes, and what ye shall say unto me, I will give. Ask me never so much dowry and gift, and I will give according as ye shall say unto me, but give me the damsel to wife. He has some very strong feelings for Dinah, doesn't he? You see, it seems clear that Shechem has gotten to know her. He's gotten to know Dinah. She's been coming to town. Shechem has been getting to know her. They've spent some time together. Shechem has developed strong feelings for Dinah and perhaps Dinah returned those feelings as well. And at the end of verse 2, we see that this attraction leads to Shechem defiling Dinah. Okay, it says the prince of the country saw her, he took her, and lay with her, and defiled her. This attraction ends up with the two of them having sexual relations outside the bounds of marriage. But the question that's often asked here is, was Dinah raped, or was this consensual? Now some Bibles introduce this chapter with the heading, the rape of Dinah or something like that, and if you've got headings in your Bible, you've probably got a heading like that. And so it seems clear that the opinion of many is that Shechem forced himself upon Dinah. But as I studied this this week, I had to ask myself, is that what the Bible actually teaches? Or is that just what men have assumed? Is that what the Bible teaches us here? You know, those who believe that Dinah was raped point to the word translated defiled at the end of the verse okay where it says and defiled her they point to that that word and they point to the fact that this word can imply an element of violence and when you look at the Hebrew word it does there is an element of violence that can be applied with this verse and therefore the conclusion is that he took her and lay with her by force they put it together with the word before lay and they say it was by force But it's also true that the Hebrew word means to humble, to shame. And it's used here, speaks to the shame attached to this sexual act. You see, by this, Shechem had shamed Dinah. Because he'd taken away her virginity, her innocence, her purity. She was now tarnished. She was, as we read here in our version, defiled and the point is I don't think we can just use this one word alone to answer the question was she raped I think we need to examine the events that follow this the chapter as a whole to find the answer and from studying this week I believe and I may be completely wrong and you can disagree with me if you like but I believe that it becomes clear from the chapter that she was not raped but that rather it was consensual Shechem and Dinah were two young people who loved each other, okay, they developed strong feelings for one another, they gave in to their flesh, and they sinned. And there are at least three clues in the passage to this. The first is Shechem's reaction, immediately after they lay together. Look in verse 2 again, it says, And when Shechem, the son of Hamor the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her, and lay with her, and defiled her, and his soul clave unto Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the damsel, and spake kindly unto the damsel. This is his immediate reaction. His reaction is one that his soul clave unto her, he loves her, he speaks kindly unto her. This is not the reaction of a young man who has just raped a woman, just forced himself upon her. As I mentioned earlier, it's clear that Shechem has some very strong feelings for Dinah. He loves her. And he doesn't just cast her aside, here, does he, as another conquest. But rather he speaks kindly under her, and he assures her that he will restore her honor by marrying her. That's what these words, spake kindly under her, mean. He's speaking kindly to her. He's assuring her, I will restore your honor, I will marry you. And in verse 4, we see that it's more than just words, isn't it? Verse 4, it says, And Shechem spake on his father Hamor, saying, Get me this damsel to wife. And so it's more than just words. He genuinely loves her, and he wants to marry her, and he goes to his father, and he says, We need to make this right. Make the arrangements. You see, these actions here are not the actions of someone who's just raped a woman, are they? You compare his actions with those of Amnon, when he raped his half-sister, Tamor. Let's just turn over there, 2 Samuel. 2nd <clears throat> Samuel 13 2nd Samuel 13 let's just pick it up in verse 10 it says Amnon said unto Tamor bring the meat into the chamber that I may eat of thine hand and Tamor took the cakes which she had made and brought them into the chamber to Am- Amnon her brother And when she had brought them unto him to eat, he took hold of her and said unto her, Come, lie with me, my sister. And she answered him, Nay, my brother, do not force me. For no such thing ought to be done in Israel. Do not thou this folly. And I whither shall I cause my shame to go. And as for thee, thou shalt be as one of the fools in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, speak unto the king, that he would not withhold me from thee. Now be it, he would not hearken unto her voice, but being stronger than she, forced her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her exceedingly. So that the hatred wherewith he hated her was greater than the love wherewith he had loved her. And Amnon said unto her, Arise, be gone. She said unto him, There is no cause. This evil in sending me away is greater than the other that thou didst unto me. But he would not hearken unto her. And he called his servant that ministered unto him, and said, Put now this woman out from me, and bolt the door after her. And she had her garments of divers colours upon her, for "For with such rows were the king's daughters that were virgins apparelled. Then this servant brought her out, and bolted the door after her. Compare Amnon with this young man Shechem. Amnon, after he rapes his sister, commits this horrible act, rapes his half-sister Tamor, it says that he, he hated her exceedingly. He hated her exceedingly so much that he exceeded her, his love for her. Well, he didn't love her, did he? He lusted after her. He raped her and then he hated her. Amnon couldn't even bear to have her in his sight anymore. She pleaded with him, as we just read, she pleaded with him to do the right thing, to make an honorable woman out of her. But he refused and he put her out on the street. He cast her aside compare that with Shechem it's a totally different response isn't it Shechem here doesn't just cast her out, doesn't just force her out of his out of his sight, he doesn't now hate her rather he loves her, he he soul clave under her, he desires to marry her and this seems to suggest that Shechem didn't rape her at all the second clue from the passage is Jacob's response Jacob's response, look in verse 5 and Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah his daughter Jacob learns it's not long before he finds out what's happened he learns of how Dinah has been in the city and how she has been defiled she's lost her honor she's lost her purity and this is news that must have caused Jacob great distress I mean any father would understand how Jacob must have felt To hear that his daughter had lost her honor in this way is a terrible thing. Now one commentator wrote this, Jacob now suffered one of the most dreadful calamities that can fall upon a household, the disgrace and ruin of his daughter. You know, if this disgrace and ruin had been the result of rape, we would then expect to read of Jacob immediately seeking justice, wouldn't we? we'd expect to read of him immediately springing into action, seeking justice for his daughter, seeking for Shechem to be duly punished and put to death. But instead, what do we read? We read that Jacob holds his peace. Look at verse 5, it says, And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah his daughter. Now his sons were with his cattle in the field, and Jacob held his peace until they were come. Jacob held his peace. This is not the response of a father who's just found out his daughter was raped. Is it? It's not the response. Now this seems instead to be the response of a father who has learned of his daughter's sin, his daughter's indiscretion, the fact that his daughter has done the wrong thing and she's lost her honor, her purity. And it's a father who will now do anything he can to make sure her honor is in some way preserved in some way restored through marriage one commentator noted this in the biblical world of the ancient near east when a virgin had sex out of wedlock she was devalued in terms of her social status bringing shame upon the family we have to put ourselves in the, the the customs of the day don't we the times she has lost her honor her social status is diminished she's brought shame upon the family That's why he holds his peace here because he knows he now needs to act to restore it in some way. To make an honorable woman out of her. Now God would later give laws concerning what was to be done in a case just like this. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 22. Deuteronomy 22 and verse 28. <clears throat> it says if a man find a damsel that is a virgin which is not betrothed and lay hold on her and lie with her and they be found then the man that lay with her shall give unto the damsel's father fifty shekels of silver and she shall be his wife because he hath humbled her he may not put her away all his days God in his law would actually give uh, wisdom as to what was to happen in a situation just like this that the the man was to pay a dowry and he was to marry the woman for their indiscretion because what they'd done, because they'd sinned. And although that law was not yet written down, it's a law that reflected the custom of the day. And so Jacob holds his peace because he knows what now needs to be done. Shechem needs to pay an appropriate dowry so that his daughter might receive some honor. Pay a dowry and marry his daughter. And those negotiations over the bride price would be carried out by Dorna, Dinah's brothers, her full brothers. Which was also the custom of the day. And that seems to be why Jacob holds his peace until his sons come. See that there in the verse 5? <coughs> verse Jacob held his peace until they were come, until his sons were come. The reason for that seems to be that the custom of the day was that the full brothers they had a say in the dowry, they had a say in all these things. Now one commentator noted this, in the case of a family by different wives it is not the father but the full brothers on whom the protection of the daughter, daughters devolves. They are the guardians of a sister's welfare and the avenger of her wrongs. It was for this reason that Simeon and Levi, the two brothers of Dinah by Leah, appear the chief actors in this episode. And so it seems that custom of the day gave the brothers the right to be involved in these discussions. We look at it and think, why is Jacob not the one dealing with all this? Well, we've got to remember, customs were different. Times were different. And so it seems that custom of the day meant that they were involved and they were indeed, as we'll see, the chief negotiators here. And you know, this is not the first time we've seen this either. In Genesis chapter 24, remember it was Laban who was the chief negotiator in his sister Rebecca's marriage. Remember that when Abraham sent his servant out and he went journeyed over and he met with Laban and he arranged all the details for Rebecca to go back and become the wife of Isaac. It was Laban he talked to her brother. The father was still alive but he's talking to his brother. And So according to custom Jacob waits for his sons to be present before acting to arrange this marriage that must now take place. Again, the point is that Jacob's response here in verse 5 does not in any way suggest that Dinah has been raped. Quite the opposite. It suggests that he knew that she had a part in all this, that she had sinned and lost her honor, and he was prepared to preserve her honor through marriage. I think the final clue that Dinah was not raped is in her location throughout all the negotiations that follow. Look at verse 26. This is three days later. Verse 26 it says, And they slew Hamor and Shechem his son with the edge of the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went out. Where was she throughout all this? She's in Shechem's house. Now if she was raped, then that means that she has been held captive by Shechem against her will. And again, would Jacob have held his peace if he knew that his daughter was being held against her will? I don't think so. I don't know. I put myself in Jacob's shoes. There's no way, no way I would have held my peace. For that matter, would Shechem have come out to negotiate with her father for her hand in marriage, knowing that he had her chained up back in his house? Again, I struggle to understand. I struggle to, to see how that fits. See, it seems clear that she's in his house. Why? Because she's consenting to the relationship. She's just as much in sin as Shechem is. See, this passage before us this morning highlights the sad consequences that come when we fail to remain separate from the world. You know, Dinah, as we saw in verse 1, she went out to see the daughters of the land. She developed friendships with the world. These idolatrous people, these people with low moral standards. She drew the attentions of a worldly man and she found herself in a compromising position, a place of temptation, and she yielded to that temptation, acted according to her flesh, and she lost her honor, she lost her purity. You know, there's a reason why God instructs us so clearly in his word to be careful to maintain that separation. You know, we are in the world, but we are not to be of the world. There is to be a clear distinction. There is to be something different about us. We are to be peculiar in the eyes of the world. Strange, different. And when we fail to maintain that separation, we're putting ourselves in danger of temptation, aren't we? Putting ourselves in danger of temptation. When we fail to remain separate, it's not long before we begin to relax our moral standards. We let our morals slip. You know, perhaps in an effort to fit in more, to be accepted more. You know, Once we start doing that, it's a slippery slope, isn't it? It's a slippery slope, and before long we find ourselves in a compromising position, just like Dinah did, with our honor lost and our testimony destroyed. You know, Dinah's story before us this morning is a warning for all of us, But especially it's a warning for young people. The young people this morning here or at home watching on. It's a warning for you. Take heed to the lesson of Dinah's life. The need to hear the instruction of God's word. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 17 as we saw. Come out from among them and be ye separate. Saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing. God desires us to be holy as he is holy. You know, as Romans says, to be transformed into His image and not conformed to the image of the world. You know, come out from among them. We need to seek to be separate, to be different, to live a holy life, and if that means losing friends, losing acquaintances, well, so be it. Far better we lose those acquaintances and keep our honor intact, our testimony intact, than see it destroyed in a moment of compromise like Dinah did. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us all to learn the lesson from Dinah's life. Lord, we live in a wicked world, surrounded by worldly people, surrounded by temptations, Lord. Lord, may you help us all to remain separate, to seek to live holy lives, and to seek to, by our testimony, bring others to you. I'll especially help the young people here as they go to school and as they make friends lord help them to stand firm for righteousness help them to be holy help them to maintain their uh, high moral standards lord help them to maintain their purity their honor their testimony lord may you help us all to learn and lord may you help us by our, by your grace to to honor you each day we pray in jesus name amen